part two of uh, Hey Jim with Dr. Dave Gunn. I've got a wood chipper going on in the background. Uh, so I'm going to throw to you, Jim. Thanks, Dave, once again, for, for coming on and having this conversation with us, because I think it's a very important one. We have been looking at how cannabis can be best leveraged in the aged care setting. And Dave, with your experience dealing with complex chronic disease management and looking at that older, older demographic from a community standpoint and working in some of these nursing home environments as well, you've, you've got a great set of skills to be able to help us explore the, the best way to influence positive change in this area. And it has been a really topical you know, area of, of conversation, I think, out there politically and, and, and medically as well. And as we've discussed, cannabis can be such a, a great tool that works across a range of different sort of symptoms. As you've been looking into this, what kind of issues and what kind of problems do you feel that nursing homes are currently facing? And I guess, where do you think cannabis can help um, in those areas? Look, I was just in a nursing home yesterday afternoon. I finished my day with a visit and I'll just paint a quick picture. I saw the patient with the head nurse in the nursing station, the son of the patient who's severe dementia, nonverbal, had his mom in a, a geriatric chair on wheels so that it could be brought out to the station. And we had the meeting through the plexiglass that's still there from, I think, COVID and things. And, and in the background, there was a new resident that was verbalizing, which is a, a medical way of saying screaming um, throughout the entire encounter. And, and that nurse who looked exhausted hadn't eaten yet. And it was 4.30. So she hadn't eaten since brekkie. And it's just, that's the environment that I see most of the time when I go in. Um, there are exceptions and, and, and some of the uh, more affluent uh, nursing homes or resources, but in general, it's just an incredibly challenging environment to work in. And when patients are severely demented and they have behaviors that disturb those around them, whether it's the other patients or the staff, it just increases the stress and increases the work for everyone. And so the natural tendency is to try to, you know, reduce it. And the tools that, that have been available, the medications over the years are not all that pretty. Antipsychotics and benzodiazepines would be the major ones. And they're sometimes referred to as chemical restraints. And so I think where I see cannabis fitting in is that it, it ticks so many boxes that in general, I find it a really useful drug for deep prescribing for any patient. But the natural path for an elderly person is that they will accumulate a lot of medications for chronic ailments as they age that are intended to give them maybe a better quality of life, but mostly to extend their life and to reduce the potential for things like strokes and heart attacks. They arrive in the nursing home environment on that list of meds, and then now they adopt a new list of meds on top of it for their behavior, sleep, pain, et cetera. And a lot of them have an awful lot of meds and most of the focus of geriatrics and whether it be from a specialist or a GP is to focus on these meds and make sure that each one of them is essential. And if not, hopefully get rid of it because there's almost always going to be some downsides to any med you take every day. So I find cannabis to be a really good drug for deprescribing. And in that population, the other drugs, if you're still on a cholesterol pill and you may only have weeks or months left of your life, well, that, that can be looked at without cannabis. But for the drugs that are being used to settle a person, um, when we talk about anandamide, Jim, it's naturally occurring chemical that, that tells us we're safe and we're well. 
uh, you know, when THC comes along and can do a similar thing, I, I think the vast majority of suffering in someone with severe dementia comes from fear or anger, frustration, because they can't communicate well and they don't, or they don't know where they are or they don't know what's going on. And you can either give someone a sedating, tranquilizing drug to knock down their response to feeling that way, or you can give them THC or CBD or both and their minds can say, you know what, I don't really know where I am right now. I'm a bit concerned about this person over there, but I also get a sense that I'm safe and I'm okay. And generally what I see is that reduces those behaviors because they're not, they're not acting out of fear or anger. doesn't mean they're intoxicated. You don't want them intoxicated because if you're confused and stoned, that could be worse. So we just need to find proper dosages that don't cause any of that. And then as a result, often a bunch of drugs will fall away. Drugs that were prescribed for sleeping can be reduced or stopped. Drugs that are used for as needed anxiety or agitation can be reduced or stopped. Same for chronic pain. And potentially you go in and you start one drug and you get rid of three or four, which there's also drug interactions between all these drugs. So every time you, you clip a couple out, you potentially reduce um, symptoms and problems that you didn't even know were there. Can you talk through your worries and concerns around, around sort of polypharmacy and some of these, some of these drugs that, you know, from my understanding on the beers list of most harmful compounds for patients in aged care, what kind of side, side effects they might be experiencing because of these medications and, and the potential, yeah. potential harms that you might be reducing by getting rid of some of these medications? Yeah, it's, geez, it's a biggie. I think in general, when we start something, let's say amitriptyline, so these, this is a very commonly used drug for sleep issues, insomnia. It's quite infamous for its side effects, particularly in the elderly. And as far as I know, any geriatrician would say anyone over the age of 75 just simply shouldn't be on it. But it's such a commonly prescribed drug. And in some ways, I think it's funny how we often just go with feelings and emotions about prescribing. We know that Valium is bad, but amitriptyline no one talks about. So we'll use that. Whereas if you actually look at the pharmacology, amitriptyline can really cause a lot of problems, mm -hmm. let alone forget dry mouth. It can make you incredibly confused. So if you're already on the edge of becoming delirious, mm -hmm. confused, and you're on amitriptyline, you're more likely to do so. We, so we try to reduce it or stop it if we can. And most of these meds, antipsychotics are another. They, there's a black box warning on antipsychotics in the United States that says, if you start this drug, your life expectancy will be reduced. Full mm -hmm. stop. Now that's not so much of a concern in this population, but they are quite strong drugs and they certainly will take away whatever or reduce a lot of what that patient still is capable of from a cognition and emotion point of view. They're tranquilized. Yeah. That's to me is more about, are the drugs really helping? Just because somebody is tranquilized doesn't mean that they're having a better quality of life. And I, I think cannabis, if anything, tends to open those things up. It makes people more interested in interacting with people. It helps them enjoy things more. They enjoy their food more. They, they enjoy watching their movies and listening to their music more. Feel more, feel more social, feel more connected with the community around them, which is really important. Um, they want to snuggle. So I've got a lot of noise in the background, but tell us a little bit about your fears around people who are frail. It's not a milligrams per kilograms thing. We know that in terms of cannabis generally, but when you started prescribing cannabis to the elderly and the frail, uh, were you uh, nervous about doing that, Dave? Uh, yeah, at the start. Um, but I, I have to say, I do not factor it in anymore. The only factoring that I do 
for an elderly person is if they have any kind of physical limitations and being able to say, draw up an oil or be able to see the markings on a syringe to get the right dosage or actual worries about dosing properly. But outside of that, as far as how many milligrams, I think someone's going to end up taking, I really don't, I really haven't seen a difference over the years. And I have seen some very small, late nineties, zero cannabis use in their entire lives, use doses that would have me just running down the streets with my pants on my head. And everybody's surprised when it happens, but I've just seen it too many times. And they're, they're certainly not doing it on purpose. They're not walking around intoxicated. It's just the dose they land on. So I think it has to be done carefully, uh, like for anyone else. I think there's a lot of concern out there around the side effects of cannabis just being an, an added medication that sort of increases the side effect profile, increases fall risks, increases yep. chances of confusion and delirium and these types of things when added to these other cocktail of other drugs. Which of but, course it's additive. But my response to that is, is that because we've been so fearful of cannabis for so long, the way, so I dose THC, for example, one milligram at a time over the course of days and weeks. We don't do that with any other of these drugs. We are so lackadaisical with benzodiazepines, antipsychotics, other things. We go, you get 25. No, now you get 50. And with an antipsychotic, that's 12, 25, 50. But we don't tease it. And so I think the reason why I haven't had problems is that we're already doing it so incredibly cautiously. Like there are pharmacologic reasons and differences in people's kinetics and things where cannabis does have to be personalized. But I think it's also the fact that we always start them on the tiniest dose and then creep it up carefully and check in. Are you okay? Are you okay? I just, that's not the way most drugs are prescribed. And so yes, you could increase someone's falls risks, certainly, but you're unlikely to do so if you're prescribing the way most people do nowadays. Yeah. And then you'd be prescribing at the same time as they're getting relief and then they're reducing those other medications that are significantly increasing their sort of falls risk. But there's and also- doctors are cautious because we've had to be so cautious. Yeah. And also there is a tolerance as well. Starting at those low doses, but taking time between dose increases as well often gives patients the chance to build a tolerance to any side effects that they may have had at a particular dose. And especially the ones that affect the balance and cerebellum, they resolve really quickly, definitely with, within a week of being on a particular dose. So just taking that time between dosing just allows anything to settle down and then you just continue to nudge it up. I've got a child here asking me questions. Oh, all right. Yes, what are you? I've got a poo that's gone onto my chair. Oh dear. That I, that I might need to deal with. Did you say poo? A poo, yeah. How do you? Big brown poo in my room now. Everybody poos. I'm just going to deal with that, if that's cool, quickly. Em's coming to pick up this little one in 10 minutes or so. When do you need to run up, Dave? No, I'm good. I've left time. I got to just some... Yeah, I'm good.